0: Thanks again for joining us, whether you're in Texas or Washington or China, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, I'm honored to be able to introduce the speaker for this Mother's Day weekend, which is Hester Christensen. Uh, Hester and I have been in ministry together at Valley Real Life for a little over four years, and God has given her a unique ability to tell us about God's Word in practical ways that impacts our heart and mind. And as you know, we've been in the series called Thriving Through COVID-19, and we've looked at the central passage where Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so far, we have covered your emotions. How do we do that in this season? Last week, Adam did a great job talking about how do we thrive physically, and now Hester's going to talk about how do we thrive spiritually with our souls. And so get ready, because you're going to be in for a treat on this day. Welcome with me, Hester Christensen.
1: Welcome, friends. Come on in. And happy Mother's Day, ladies. I hope that you're spoiled rotten by your family today. Well, who would have thought that we would live during a time when we're told to stay away from people? And if we have to go out in public, stay six feet away. I'll be honest. The last two months of social distancing, it's been really challenging. The inability to be around people that we love, it wrenches our heart on such a deeply personal level. We feel like we're disconnected, like we're missing out. There's really something to be said about being in someone's presence. It's hard to experience intimacy without proximity. We're all struggling with this, but if we could just step back for a moment and consider that there's another kind of distancing that should concern us. And this kind of distancing, unlike the social distancing that we're mandated to follow, this one we actually decide upon ourselves. And I'm talking about spiritual distancing, where we hold God at arm's length and we don't connect regularly. It's hard to experience spiritual intimacy with Jesus without relational proximity to Jesus. The leading cause of spiritual distancing, sin, has been overcome at the, by Christ at the cross, and we're united in faith with Him. However, just like marriage, though we're united and one with Christ, we can still experience distance in our relationship. But God desires for us to be close, for us to experience the fullness of life with Him. So much is lost when we fail to keep close proximity to Christ. When I first accepted Jesus as my Savior, the newness of my relationship with Him was such an exciting adventure. We were very, very close. But over the last 30 years, there's been times when I have felt the effects of spiritual distancing. And through these times, I've learned that I have a choice to draw near to God or to remain distant. I felt this way recently. It was a really spiritually dry time for me. I had too much to do, looming deadlines, Every day felt like a marathon. I was dealing with some relational conflict in, my, conflict in my family. It wasn't just a bad day, like everybody has a bad day. It was that consistent nagging in my spirit. I was empty, and I knew the cause. My lack of spiritual connection with God. I was rushing through my quiet time. I was impatient and critical and indifferent and apathetic. I was experiencing spiritual distancing. The external fruit of my life confirmed the internal truth of my soul. And I knew I couldn't keep living like this. God was whispering, "'Hester, come to me. "'When are you gonna come? "'You can't give what you don't have. "'You're living in your, your strength, not mine.'" And I had to pause. I had to just really try to quiet my noisy soul and really cherish my relational connection with Jesus. That I knew was so important, and I'm so thankful for God's grace that drew me back. Spiritual intimacy, if there's one one principle for us to take away today, spiritual intimacy with Jesus is tied to our relational proximity to Jesus. Maybe some of us are feeling distant from Christ, and if we are, we have to wonder who moved, but we know it's not him. Maybe we're experiencing exhaustion and we're frustrated, we're depleted, but it's because we are not nourishing our souls with what they need. We're relational beings designed to know God and to make Him known, to love God and to love others. When we talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our soul is the entirety of who we are, not just a segment. The meaning of soul connotates the totality of our being. To love God with our soul is to walk with Him, commune with Him, fellowship with Him, to interact, talk, cry. It's really about an abiding relationship that thrives on consistent spiritual connection. But when we're not abiding, the result trickles down to every area of our lives. And we're not gonna thrive spiritually. We're actually gonna struggle. But let me guess, we probably all have about a thousand things that need to get done this week, am I right? What if I told you that only one thing is necessary? It's pretty simple, yet we overcomplicate life. We often choose many things over the one thing. But if this one necessary thing is guarded and nurtured and cherished and prioritized, we will thrive spiritually through COVID-19 in every other season of life that we face. I am so excited today. There is an incredible narrative in Luke chapter 10 that we're gonna unpack together. As we look into the home of two sisters, when a special guest arrives, there's several spiritual nuggets for us to take away. And in a few short verses, Christ reveals the importance of keeping the one necessary thing, the main thing. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and following. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and asked, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me.' "'Martha, Martha,' the Lord answered, "'you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In this story, Jesus defines what is most needed and what is most important, to be in a close relationship with him. He extends an invitation to spiritual intimacy. And like Mary, like Martha, we too have opportune encounters with Jesus, and we can either choose to draw close to him or to spiritually distance ourselves. Let's take a closer look. Verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. The word listening, of course, means to hear, but it also means to consider, to attend to, to understand, to comprehend. It's really showing an active response versus a passive response. But here I want to share with you two different postures of soul that we see. The posture of Mary's soul was focused on Christ alone. She was undistracted eager, expectant, engaged as she spent time with her Savior. The posture of Martha's soul, on the other hand, was distracted by all that she had to get done. She complained, she compared, she was critical, which ultimately led to contempt. So what we see here is two different responses to one singular invitation. You know, Jesus has done everything to make this one necessary thing relational connection to Him even possible. Remember, we were spiritually distant, and Jesus bridged the gap of our sin on the cross, and now we can be spiritually close. But the responsibility of an abiding relationship falls on us. Thriving spiritually means that we become self-feeders. We spend time with Jesus. We position our souls to be filled and refilled by the only one who can give us what we need to be engaged with him. I remember when my oldest son was in college his freshman year. We went down to the university to visit him over parents weekend. And I was so excited to catch up with him and just to find out what his favorite part of college was. Of course, I had my own ideas. So you know, I asked him, like, hey, so what's your favorite part? I bet it's your roommate, right? You've been best buddies since sixth grade. No, that's not it. Oh, OK, well, is it because you're a bulldog now? No, no, that's not it. Okay, let me guess then. It must be your classes. No, it's not my classes either. I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I think I've got it. It's your work. I mean, you work at the kennel. You get to be with the players and interact with them. For every single game, you're on the ground floor at the announcer's table. I mean, that's legit, right? That's gotta be your favorite part of college. He's like, no, that's not really it either. I was so stumped. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, son. What gives? What's your favorite part of college? And without hesitation, he says, Mom, that's easy. It's the unlimited meal plan. (laughs) Oh my goodness, spoken like a true teenager. Oh, I still laugh over that. But you know what? It's really got me thinking. We too have an unlimited meal plan with Jesus. We can swipe our Zag card any time of day, all day, multiple times a day, whenever we want. He wants to give us so much more of Himself. We have been given a buffet in Jesus, but we've gotta stop settling for crumbs. And herein lies the difference between thriving and surviving. Are we just getting by with the least? Or are we filling up with the most that Jesus has for us? The abiding principle, we see this in John chapter 15, verses four and five. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In this passage, the fruit is not the most important part. It's abiding. It's remaining connected to the vine. The fruit of the Spirit comes through abiding. We can't manufacture spiritual fruit. Fruit is the result of the Spirit of God flowing through us. We're just the conduit. But if we abide, if we remain, if we press in to relational proximity and stay close to Christ, we will experience abundant life in Jesus. We will thrive spiritually because the riches of relational connection to Christ will provide spiritual growth and fruit. But sometimes we want a quick microwave mentality kind of growth or a download an app for that kind of growth or next day shipping Amazon Prime kind of growth but spiritual growth takes time. We also tend to wander. We slide into autopilot sometimes, but spiritual growth requires intentionality. It's not like we're gonna slip and fall into spiritual growth like, whoops. (laughs) Spiritual growth also requires sacrifice. It's hard. It's so hard sometimes, but what we are given in Christ far outweighs the cost. You see, discipleship is all about relationship, and relationship is all about abiding. Lack of abiding results in lack of thriving. And in order for us to thrive spiritually, we must seek relational proximity to experience spiritual intimacy. Now, I'm not here to write you a prescription like, oh, here, here's 10 minutes of this and five minutes of this, and here's your prescription for spiritual growth because we like that. Our human nature likes little lists of do's and don'ts, and here's what you do, and here's what you don't do. I'm not gonna write you a prescription, but I will tell you that this passage in Luke indicates that spiritual intimacy with God requires an undistracted soul focused on the Savior, where we are eager, and we're expectant, and we're engaged. Jesus has so much more for us. No matter our age, our profession, or our social status, we all have a spiritual void that only Christ can fill. And that, that filling abundance comes from an abiding relationship. Abiding does include spiritual disciplines that can help keep the posture of our soul centered in Christ. And spiritual disciplines, they're just healthy habits that can help us to thrive spiritually. And some of those can include reading and studying God's word, prayer, worship, fasting, fellowship, serving, and even resting. But we can't compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus because it impacts every aspect of our lives. I have no control, absolutely no control, of how you will respond to Jesus's offer of a thriving, abundant life. But I can tell you that if we aren't practicing these disciplines, we are missing out we won't grow and we won't thrive spiritually. You know, I, I love spending time with my sons. They are a hoot. Let me just tell you, we have some of the best memories and moments together as a family. It's a, it's a comedy routine around our house. But recently my oldest son reached out to me and, and it touched my heart so much that he initiated this connection and he wanted to take me out to lunch. Like, oh, I think he likes me. <laughs> But it made me remember, I think that we, too, forget how much God delights in us. He loves to spend time with us, too. He stepped out of heaven and put on flesh, and He wants to hang with us. Mary was spending time at Christ's feet in the living room, but Martha was busy in the kitchen. Let's pick up in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There's a little snarky side to Martha that I appreciate. (laughs) Let's look at this verse. The word for distracted means to draw away attention, to be troubled, distressed. Anxious or overoccupied or even busy? What is it that gets in the way? Why is relational proximity to Jesus such a struggle? Here's a principle that the Lord has taught me what draws us away will keep us from drawing near. Interestingly, the word for distracted is only found here just once in the New Testament, which is significant because of an interpretive principle. When a word is used only once, we need to press pause and go back to its original use. And in this case, the first mention of a similar Hebrew word would have taken her back to Ecclesiastes chapter one, where this word is described as a burden and it's connected to a chasing after the wind or being distracted or pursuing something of no lasting value. This connects to this passage in Luke. It would be like for us today. If I say, I have a dream, our mind immediately connects to the first use of that phrase with Martin Luther King. This may seem minor to us, but it would have been major to Martha because she is carrying an unnecessary burden. In this moment, Jesus is poignantly but politely telling Martha, Martha, You're distracted by all of your work. You're chasing after the wind. You're allowing the burdens of life to rob you of the riches of relationship. Martha, instead of drawing near to me in relationship, the one necessary thing, you're being drawn away. Mary has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from her. What draws us away will keep us from drawing near. Let's listen to Olivia's testimony as she describes being drawn away until she discovers the one necessary thing.
2: I accepted Christ at a young age, and I would say that Um, I really accepted my faith as my own in middle school and then I grew in my faith through high school and college. As I moved into adulthood, I allowed God's blessings in my life to make me complacent in my faith and just the busyness of life. I read my Bible very little and I prayed less and less until I got to the point where I couldn't even bring myself to pray in crisis. And the more I drifted from God, the less I knew who I was. And it didn't just affect my relationship with God, but it also affected my relationship with other people. I think I felt a lot of things that are pretty common for mothers. I felt inadequate, um, that I was bound to fail, and that I could never live up to what was expected of me as a mother, especially as a working mother and I felt very lonely, and I felt like I didn't have any genuine connections anymore. And I felt like my heart was just a tangled mass of emotions, and I had no idea what thread to pull to make me feel normal again. And so I just tried to cover it with other fluffy fillers that I think are pretty tame by our culture standards, um, like shopping and planning vacations and social media and having a glass of wine or having a glass of wine every night, but it didn't really help, uh, not for more than a day at a time. And then I was just back to where I started. And so finally, after more than a decade of drifting farther from God, I got to the place where I just knew that I needed to go to Jesus and I needed Him to heal my heart. I knew I needed to read my Bible. And so I just prayed that he would give me the discipline to come back every day, and he did. And what I found was the more that I came to him, uh, the less I looked at myself and my emotions and my feelings, and the more I looked to him, and the more I looked to him, the more he healed my heart and he undid that knot of emotions. I started to have more love and joy for the people around me and I started to um, realize that not only did he hear me, but he cherished that time with me and I really started to cherish that time with him as well. And I would never go back to the way it was before because I realized that spending that daily time with Him changed the way I saw myself and the way I saw others, and it changed my heart, and it just changed everything.
1: Olivia's right. Jesus does change everything. We've heard from Olivia, and for Martha, it was serving in all the preparations. But what is it for us? For me, it's my to-do list. It's not saying no when I should. It's not maintaining regular rhythms of rest. What about you? What diverts your attention? What deflects your devotion? What goal has maybe become an idol? What Netflix series, TV show, gaming avenue, or social media, which one captures your heart? What things draw you away from the Lord? What keeps you from drawing near to the Lord? These are the things we need to answer, but it's time for us to let go of whatever keeps us from pursuing Christ. Just from Martha's life, when work distracts us from spiritual intimacy, some of the symptoms can include focus on self, the martyr syndrome, we become super critical, we compare ourselves to others, it's easy to assume nobody else is doing anything, and then we get bossy with Christ because we want Him and we expect Him to fulfill all of our expectations and wishes. Jesus knows there will always be work to be done. Am I right? (laughs) So what is Jesus getting at here? I don't believe that Jesus is condemning the work that needed to be done, but rather relationally connecting to God's son. But which comes first? I think we know, but unfortunately we allow things to draw us away from God instead of drawing near. I get it backwards. And I bet sometimes you do too. After we were married, we were opening our wedding gifts. And there was this one gift from a couple, a really nice gift. It was one that they thought that we wanted, but it isn't really what we desired. What we desired was for them to actually be there in to be present with us at our wedding. And it just got me thinking, how often do we give God what we think he wants, but not what he desires? Look, God, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Look, God, my my calendar's full. Look, Lord, I got this new promotion. And all the while, he's waiting. He's waiting for us to relationally connect with him, to spiritually engage. And even good things don't compare to the one thing. Jesus always goes after our soul. We have the same distractions that Martha faced, life and work and family, all of those needs and demands, they are never going to cease. Mary and Martha both had a choice. Scripture shows us that Mary chose the better part, and the better part is Jesus himself. Martha esteemed her work as more important than Martha's, Mary's worship. For us to thrive spiritually, we need to seek relational proximity to experience the spiritual intimacy. Next, we see this phrase, Lord, don't you care? When have you asked that question? Lord, don't you care I lost my job? Lord, don't you care my health is compromised? Lord, don't you care my family members ill? Lord, don't you care I had to cancel my wedding and cancel my graduation? When we begin to doubt God's goodness and we question him and he doesn't fulfill all of our expectations, That's when we start to hold him at arm's length. You see, Martha, she's reacting to a need, just like we do. But she doesn't stop long enough to tune in. But Mary's radar doesn't allow anything to sidetrack her from relational connection to Jesus. Did you notice that Martha is voicing her physical, mental, and emotional longings? Jesus addresses her mental distractions, her physical preparations, and her emotional concerns. Don't you care? Jesus is like, yes, that's why I've invited you into relationship with me, so that your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual needs will be met. But will you come to me? Jesus responds by highlighting Martha's spiritual need, the one thing, that if she saw it, All the other needs would be satisfied, but the distractions kept her from the one thing that would satisfy her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's look a little closer together. There's something more in this narrative. Let's read verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' response to Martha would have perked not only her ears, but the ears of those nearby, probably even startled those who were listening, namely the disciples. It would have caused them to take note and to really listen. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus is getting serious here. Did he really just do that? I'll tell you why. I was so intrigued by Jesus repeating Martha's name twice. And come to find out, a double salutation is a big deal in scripture and Jewish culture. Throughout the Bible, we see it used seven times. For example, in the Old Testament, we see it four times. Genesis 22, Abraham, Abraham. In Genesis 46, Jacob, Jacob. In Exodus 3, 4, Moses, Moses. In 1 Samuel 3, Samuel, Samuel, all four of these individuals play a significant role in Israel's history. And in the New Testament, we see it spoken by Christ three times. In Luke 22, Simon, Simon. In Acts 9, Saul, Saul. But the first double salutation in the New Testament is right here in Luke chapter 10. Martha, Martha. These three individuals also play a significant role in the life of the early church. A double salutation is purposeful and it's intentional. God wanted to get their attention because there was a critical teaching to impart or a change in calling to pronounce. It's like Jesus is saying, listen up people and pay attention because what I'm about to say is important and not just important, it's imperative, it's critical, it matters. And if you don't get this, you're missing it all. Double salutations were used at key turning points in individuals' lives. The weight of Jesus' words to Martha was significant. Although she had opened her home to Jesus, he really wanted access to her soul. In this moment, Martha, Martha, Jesus extends an invitation to spiritual intimacy, an opportunity for her to walk away from distractions and to draw near to him. He wanted to rearrange the posture and the position of her soul to be one that was solely fixed and centered on Christ. He diagnoses the problem, and he also provides the cure. Jesus is showing Martha that relational proximity to him leads to spiritual intimacy with him, and this one thing is necessary. The next time we see Martha is in John 11 when her brother dies, and she hears that Jesus is coming, but she doesn't wait for him to come to her She runs out to him. Loving the Lord our God with all of our soul means that we seek relational proximity to experience spiritual intimacy. We do all that we can to be close to Christ. It's not just inviting him into our life. It's giving him complete access to our soul. This produces a life that will thrive spiritually. Jesus is trying to get our attention, friends. He's waiting for us to accept his invitation to relationship. And for some of us, maybe he's knocking on the door of your heart. You've invited him into your home this morning through this message, but it's time to give access to him, to your heart. Maybe for some of you, you're stuck between the living room and the kitchen, and you're being drawn away instead of being drawn near. Jesus is always looking for a deeper connection, for us to thrive, not just survive. We know if there's anything that is true, there's always gonna be distractions. That's never gonna change, friends. There will always be work that needs to be done. And when 1,000 things beg for our attention, can we remember that there's one necessary thing? Just like Martha, Just like Mary, we have a choice today. The same invitation that he gave Martha, he is giving to us. He is not distant, and we don't need to be either. He is calling us, sometimes more than twice by name, and he's waiting. Spiritual intimacy with Jesus is tied to our relational proximity to Jesus. He's waiting, friends. John, John, only one thing is necessary. Sarah, Sarah, only one thing is necessary. Andrew, Andrew, only one thing is necessary. Kate, Kate, only one thing is necessary. Church, Church, only one thing is necessary. Let's choose the better part, Jesus himself. Let's remove the distractions that draw us away and instead draw near. And through our abiding relationship
0: with Jesus, thrive spiritually.